Good evening, everybody. Today, we begin a new series called Purple Church. And uh, I'm really excited about it and the conversations that it will spark. However, at the same time, I'm a little scared. It's already hard enough to talk to people about their religion and spirituality and beliefs. And now on top of that, we're going to add politics, which as we all know is so much easier to talk about. Uh, And so basically, we're taking two of the most infamous, don't talk about this at the dinner table kind of topics and combining them. And so let me lay some ground rules for, for all of us. First, I don't have all of the answers, and neither do you. I think our conversations and our solutions might be a a lot better and go a lot further if we just all admitted this up front. I don't have all of the answers. You don't have all of the answers. Second, I'm probably going to say something wrong or offend you at some point. In fact, I will probably offend me too. If you read about Jesus' life, he's often offending people and their perspectives. I'm going to do my best to let Jesus, not me, offend all of us. Now, there will probably still be something that I say that's wrong and, and that I will, uh, you know, get, get wrong, that will offend you. I, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And so rather than leaving and being angry, let's commit to making sure that we won't let any conflict keep us apart because we're better together. Third, We aren't going to touch everything that we need to. What we're about to endeavor on in this month of October is a huge topic. There's no way that we could come close to covering all of it in these gatherings. So there will be something that I will leave out that you want to talk about or that you think that we should talk about. It's just too much to hit it all. we would just, we would never, these are things that have to begin in us and, and they have to uh, continue for us to think about and to engage faithfully with beyond this series, beyond this month, beyond this election cycle. And fourth, because I can't hit it all, but we're still trying very hard to be practical, theological, and faithful in this series, try and join us for all of it. Like, do your best uh, to be here for all of it. Bring people with you. If you can't be here, then catch up on on YouTube. Uh, We've got those posted every week here. So help us have these conversations. And then the fifth thing is that throughout this series, we're going to have this phone number up here on the screen. Uh, And and I encourage you to text in your comments uh, or your questions along the way. Uh, We need your questions and your perspective. This is one way for us to to share in that. And so at the end of our talk, we'll we'll try and work through some of them together. And so that's available to you uh, throughout this sermon this evening. So there's some ground rules. I guess a logical question is, why even do this at all? For several years, I've been having these kinds of conversations in my head a lot. As a Christian, what should I do? What should I support? Who should I vote for? Does my faith in Jesus move me one way or another? What do I do when my faith seems to push me in opposing directions? As a Christian, 
I've been bothered by how I hear and see other Christians interacting around these conversations. The the conversations between Christians and the things said aloud by Christians often lack the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so when our conversations aren't marked by the fruit of the Spirit, and instead are marked by anger, by spite, by crudeness, and by conspiracy theories, it makes me think that we've not faithfully considered our positions. As a pastor, I've been asking myself, how much of this is a pastoral issue? Like, how much of this affects someone seeking Jesus? How does a person's civic engagement reflect and shape their journey of following Jesus? How does the church's civic engagement impact and affect the church's mission? Do they intersect? Are they separate? And it's not just conversations that I'm having in my head. I'm also having these conversations uh, with real people. Some of them are you. Uh, Some of them are are people that, that know that I'm a pastor They're outside of church, but they know that I'm a pastor. And often, their conversations take the form of a question. And the question sounds like this. Why do Christians? Like, it's just perplexing to them. Or or how do Christians? Because they just don't quite understand it because, uh, well, there's a lot of things and we'll try and get into all of it. So uh, these conversations are happening. My default position and the recent history of discipleship within the church has been to not talk about it. In the church, we talk about Jesus and not about politics. In the church, we focus on higher, eternal, spiritual things rather than lowly, temporal, worldly things. And in too many cases, this has not led to fully formed disciples, but instead it has led to a deformed and immature disciple. And I just can't take it anymore. And yet, for all of my reasons... It doesn't really matter. The real question is, does Jesus say something about it? Because if Jesus doesn't say something about it, then it's not something that I should spend my time preaching about. On the other hand, if Jesus says something about it, but then I don't preach it, I'm not being faithful as a preacher either. And so in this regard, I would recommend to you uh, this book titled The Politics of Jesus. It's written by a theologian, a theology professor. His name was John Howard Yoder. And uh, this book uh, has become the foundational book on this topic and is now uh, used extensively by Christian ethicists. Uh, At the time, it was groundbreaking uh, when he first wrote the first edition in the 1970s. Uh, So I would highly recommend this book to you. Uh, I'll sum it up for you and and sum up my answer to the question. And the short answer is this. Yes, I believe that Jesus has something to say about our civic engagement. Following Jesus affects my entire life, including my political and civic actions. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, and there are many different places in the Bible where I think that this can be demonstrated. Let me just point out a few. These aren't uh, ranked or in any particular order, 
Uh, but here's one. Civics and politics is an essential part of human society. Now, I'm not saying that constitutional representative democracy, the form of government that we have in the United States, is an essential part of human society. I'm saying that at the core of civics and politics is that every time groups of people try and get together and live together, the core of those two topics is there. It's just a part of being human. And because we believe that Jesus is God with us, and we believe that He was both fully God and fully human, we would then believe that civics and politics was a part of Jesus' life here on earth. If it wasn't, then He wasn't fully human. Another point would be in, in regard to the prophecies in the Old Testament. Almost every prophet recorded in the Old Testament speaks to a societal civic, and political issue. They spoke on behalf of God, and those issues were prominent of what they spoke. And so as they spoke about the issues, they also spoke about a person who they would title the Messiah. And that person, the Messiah, would ultimately bring about godly solutions to these problems. One of the most famous prophecies regarding Jesus and the Messiah, you hear it every Christmas. Because it was included in Handel's famous piece of music titled Messiah. Sometimes, you know, known as the Hallelujah Chorus. And this is what Isaiah prophesied. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government will rest on his shoulders, counselor, and prince. All of those things have political implications. And then there's what Jesus says himself. And so if you have a Bible, you could turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. Uh, we have some out at our cart, out in the hallway there. It's a complete gift. You just take one on your way out, whether you're Christian or not. The Bible is worth exploring. It's a simple yet complex book. It's a gentle and at the same time powerful book. And so if you want to know about Jesus, then, then you read the Bible. You can also download a Bible at Bible.com app. And we're going to have the scriptures here on the screen. Matthew is one of four accounts of Jesus' life on earth. It is generally believed that Matthew's gospel was written for a mostly Jewish audience so that Jewish people would see that Jesus is the Messiah and they would follow him. And the, this, this story is a pivotal moment in Jesus' life on earth. And so we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked him, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, 
and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This isn't in what I wrote at all. Why does he tell the the disciples not to tell anyone that he's the Messiah? One of the reasons that Jesus is trying to keep a lid on this Messiah thing is because the title Messiah has political implications. And he doesn't want the thing to blow up before he can grasp his hands around it and form it and shape it in some way. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This statement is groundbreaking for Christianity. To be a Christian is to affirm this statement. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. When you read the Old Testament and you hear about the Messiah, the person that has been anointed by God, you are reading about Jesus. The promises of the Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus. And as I briefly stated before, The promises of the Messiah are not just eternal or spiritual promises. The promises of the Messiah have political and civic impact and implications. The Messiah is not understood as just a Savior who gets you to heaven. The Messiah is a person who establishes and leads the kingdom of God on earth. And so when Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter does not mean, you are the person who will take me to heaven. Peter means, you are the person who will take up the throne and the anointing that was first promised to David, the ancient king of Israel, and you will rule and reign perfectly. You will bring about the kingdom of God and lead us into it. And Jesus doesn't reject any of that. In fact, he emphatically affirms uh, affirms the statement. He says that that statement is directly from God. There's no way Peter could have come up with it on his own. He says that that statement will be the thing that his church will be built, built on. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I want us to notice where this statement is made. Jesus and his disciples were in the region of Caesarea Philippi. The setting for the statement is significant. The region was known for the worship of all kinds of gods. Here, Canaanites had worshipped Baal. Here, there was a site to worship the god Pan. In the cliffs and the mountains of the area, there were little caves and niches that had been carved out for various deities and and idols. So in the midst of this amalgamation of various shrines to all kinds of gods, Jesus asks his disciples, what do you understand about my identity? Here we are among these various gods. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah. The Son of the living God. There may be other gods that people worship, but you are the Son of the living God. You are worthy of our worship and dedication. Caesarea Philippi is also a significant political site. In ancient history, the Egyptians were defeated in a significant battle there. Later, Caesar Augustus 
gave this land to Herod the Great. That's the same Caesar Augustus and the same Herod in the story of Jesus' birth. Herod then gave the land to his son Philip. And Philip ruled from this place from the the year 4 BCE to CE 34. During that time, he rebuilt the city and he named it after two political rulers, Caesar and himself. Later, another ruler renamed the city after Nero. During the Jewish and Roman War around the year 70, one of the Roman generals rested his army there at that place. And after the war, they made Jewish prisoners die in gladiatorial fights there in the midst of that city. So while the region is significant religiously, it is also significant politically. So in the midst of these various political figures and agendas, Jesus asked his disciples about his identity. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yes! And on this truth, I'm going to build my church. This truth is foundational. It has significant consequences and implications. It is all-encompassing. It includes religion. It includes politics. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's why we're talking about a purple church. Purple has been a color associated with royalty. It was expensive and hard to get. And so typically only those who ruled had enough resources to get access to purple cloth. We are a purple church because above all else, we are under the authority and reign of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We may live in the United States of America, but to be a Christian means that we follow Jesus the Christ. The one who has been anointed by God to establish and reign over the kingdom of God. Our unity as Christians is not in our political alignment, our civic action, our national identity. Our unity is certainly not in in the color of our skin or the language that we speak. Our loyalty is ultimately not to a nation, Not to each other, not to a flag, not to an anthem, and not to any other cause except the rule and reign of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of the promises of the Messiah and the kingdom of God are not extended to one nation, to one ethnicity, to one language, to one tribe. The promises of hope, justice, peace, Mercy, provision, healing, forgiveness, and life come from the domain of the kingdom of God, ruled by the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus. You cannot use the name of Jesus for your side. Jesus isn't on the side of Republicans or on the side of Democrats. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And following Him, being a purple church, means getting on His side. And on His side is where we find forgiveness and healing and justice and righteousness and so much more. We are a purple church 
Because we follow Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and we will submit our entire lives, including our political and civic engagement, to His kingdom. Now, here's how one writer describes this purple church. This purple church that is built upon the truth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is found in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians 3.26 For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Just a little language lesson. Messiah, Christ, they mean the same thing. Messiah is in Hebrew, Christ is in Greek. It's the same thing. It's the same title. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Purple church. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you all are all one in Christ Jesus. In a recent poll, there was some very disturbing news for the church. A majority of people who attend a church service said that they preferred to go to church with people that share their political views. In other words, a majority of people who go to church prefer to go to a blue church or a red church. There are people who have left churches, perhaps some who have left this church, because they didn't feel like the church was red enough or blue enough. But that's not at all how the church is described. In Christ's church, there is not Jew or Gentile. There is not slave or free. There is not male or female. There is not rich or poor. There is not educated or uneducated. There is not evangelical or non-evangelical. There is not white or black or brown. In Christ's church, there is not Democrat or Republican. There is only in Christ. And in Christ is what unifies us and brings us together. It doesn't mean that you lose, for example, being male or female. It just means we don't divide and discriminate among male and female. We don't exclusively worship with only male or female. You may be male, but that gives you no more standing in this church. Because what you are, uh, because what matters is that you are in Christ. You may be female, but that doesn't put you at the bottom of the ladder because what matters is that you are in Christ. The beauty of Christ's church is that we are all in Christ. There is no red church. There is no Republican church. You don't have to become a member of the Republican Party or hold to the Republican political agenda in order to follow Jesus or be a part of this church. There is no blue church. There is no democratic church. You do not have to be a member of the democratic party or hold to the democratic political agenda in order to follow Jesus or be a part of this church. Now, it may be more comfortable to be in a red church or a blue church, but that's not what we're called to. There may be less tension in a blue church or a red church. But that's not what we're called to. 
were called to be in Christ. United under His rule and reign. White, black, brown, all together in Christ. Red and blue, all together in Christ. A purple church. I'm going to say something that I wish I could say more about, but we just don't have the time. Uh, so this, late, this week we'll post a link from our social media stuff. Just search for Sot Church. Uh, that, that we'll talk a little bit more about this, and you should uh, find that link, read the article, have some conversations about it. But, but here it is. Let me give it to you. Christians don't fit into a two-party system. That's the system that we currently have within the United States government. Christians don't fit into a two-party system. If you find yourself always aligned with a political party, you seriously need to examine whether you're following Jesus or a political party. If you follow Jesus, you won't neatly fit into a political party. We are a purple church. I'm still trying to figure all of this out. I don't have all the answers. Let me just say, uh, this isn't written either, but let me just say a little bit more about it. The, the, the longer I try to follow Jesus and stay close to His rule and reign, the less I fit into categories. The only category I fit into and that, the only category that I really want to fit into is in Christ. That's it. Now I'm a part of a denomination called the Assemblies of God. If you were to look at the Assemblies of God, it is overwhelmingly red. What I found, and, and I'll, trust me, I'm, please, I'm not saying that I'm perfect or an example to follow. So I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. But what I found is that as I tried to wrestle with Jesus, uh, my, my, my friends uh, who are within the Assemblies of God or within that red thing, they, they just, they, they would label me liberal. I'm too liberal to be conservative. But then I hang out with people well, for instance, in downtown Las Vegas, which is by far a blue district. Our congressional district here in downtown Las Vegas is blue. It is blue to the core. I hang out with people in downtown Las Vegas, and I'm too conservative to be liberal. I, I, I don't fit. I don't, I don't fit. And I'm perfectly uh, comfortable with that. I've learned to be comfortable with it. I'm all right being purple. I don't think Christians fit neatly into categories and certainly not to a two-party system. Now, I've talked a lot to what I would consider to be Christian issues. And so this is mostly directed to Christians. Christians, you are a purple church. You belong in Christ. And yes, that includes your politics too. If you're human, you have politics. 
you may not label yourself political, but being apolitical is a political choice. It's, it all falls under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We're a purple church. But what if you're not a Christian? Well, my hope is that you gain a little bit clearer picture of Jesus. Jesus isn't a Republican. Neither is Jesus a Democrat. He isn't just a spiritual figure. He has an impact on this world. His rule and reign affect civics and politics. And I think if you follow Jesus, you will find Him quite compelling. And I hope that you know that if you choose to follow Jesus, you don't have to also join a political voting block. Jesus' church is a purple church. Each of us, both Christian and not Christian, faces the same question as faced Peter and the disciples. In the midst of this current religious and political environment, Jesus asks all of us the same question. Who do you say I am? In the midst of spiritualism, atheism, pluralism, humanism, paganism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Islamism, Jewishism, Christianism, and so much more, who do you say I am? In the midst of nationalism, politicism, racism, globalism, republicanism, democratism, and so much more, who do you say I am? In the midst of a desire for hope, joy, peace, justice, freedom, righteousness, prosperity, forgiveness, healing, wholeness, and life, who do you say I am? To be a Christian means to declare Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God.